Welcome, everybody, to the Why God Why podcast. My name is John Amayo, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and extremely uh, just magnanimous person uh, sitting next to me right now, Peter Englert. And uh, we are so excited that you chose to join us today. Thanks for uh, joining the Why God Why podcast. We got something special for for people today, right, Peter? We do, and let me do the cliche podcast, hello, hello, Uh to the magnanimous John (laughs) Amayo. Uh, Yeah, today, you know, I want to give us a a ton of time for this. I think this is a huge question. We have Austin Bush, associate professor from uh, Brockport, which is a state university of New York school, and um, we're talking about the question, why did Jesus have to die? And I've been thinking about that, like... I I was preaching and I invited a friend who doesn't usually come to church and I had coffee with him afterwards and I said to him, hey, how did this, how did the message go? And he's like, I brought my nine-year-old daughter and he gave me a few thoughts and just really connected. And he said, my daughter at the end of it said, hey, what's up with drinking that blood? And we had actually had communion that day. And so, of course, I'm talking about Jesus representing, you know, the bread and the wine or the grape juice. And I just realized like how much we take this question for granted and how much we don't think about it. I don't know. How have you encountered this question too? Yeah. I mean, this is uh, really fundamental to Christianity. So I think if you, if you don't understand this question, it's kind of the basis of a lot of Christian thought anyway. Why did Jesus have to die? It's one of the basic questions, but a lot of, I don't think we can take for granted where people are at in terms of how we answer that question. So I think this is going to be a really healthy conversation today. We're entering the season of Lent. Uh, so for people who are familiar with the church, people are are celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a 40-day long tradition that that goes on throughout the whole world that people are really focusing in on this. So I think this hits us at just the right time mm-hmm. that we're having this conversation. And that's why I'm glad that we can invite uh, Professor Austin Bush to join us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Austin. I know that people are going to really uh, love hearing from you, and it's great to have you here with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Well, let's get started. Uh, Before we even talk about Jesus dying on the cross, uh, you're a professor in a public college uh, talking about literature, talking about the Bible. You know, what are some misconceptions that you think people have about the Bible that you encounter in your class? And tell us a little bit about that. Um, so maybe I can give like a broad one and then a more specific one. Um, broadly speaking, I think people in general, either in class or sometimes even in a church setting, maybe even more often in a church setting, they think about the Bible. Like if you if you want to use an analogy, like an analogy of uh, like a musical analogy, I like music, so it's a musical analogy. So you know, like one way of thinking about sort of harmony is there are two different approaches to it. One, you can have a kind of um, you can have um, like um, uh, a melody with accompaniment, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You could have like a melody and then the other voices. Sometimes it might be chords, right? Or sometimes it might be like you know. If you're playing piano, the left hand is doing all that stuff, but it's sort of, it's just there for the background. The main thing is this one voice, which is the, that's the song, mm. right? 
But another way, it's not something we do so much in like contemporary music, but it was especially popular um, in Baroque music, is sort of like polyphonic music where you have different melodies interacting with one another, with one another. So huh. like one song might have four or five different voices, or if you're playing piano and you've got your right hand and your left hand, you've got you know the right hand playing a melody and then the left hand playing a related melody, but it starts a little later. And then sometimes, you know, if the music is skillfully composed, then, you know, there's some sort of, um, you can you can actually have the hands playing multiple melodies. You can have a bunch of different voices going on. Now, it's one composition, right? It's one thing. It's one song. Um, but it's composed of different voices working together, not one voice with everything else sort of mm. backing it up. I think that, so this is that broad thing. People... Yeah tend to think that the Bible is one book and there's one, there's, there's sort of one melody and everything else is subordinate to, or just, it's just there to back it up. Mm. But I just don't think that's the way the Bible works. And I don't think it's like rocket science to come to that conclusion. If God wanted the Bible to work that way, he probably wouldn't have written it or had it written over, you know, a thousand years in two or three different languages by people, you know, from from um, um, different times and even to some extent different cultural traditions, right? Israel mm. at various points. Um, and it's history. I think it, it's more a polyphonic work where it works with these different voices that are related, different melodies coming together, and um, the music arises from how they interact with one another. That's a really interesting way to put it. I've never heard of that description before, you know? So I think I, I want to explore that a little bit. How would you say most people define that one voice? If, if they, or maybe there's a, a, a wide variety of, of opinions out there, but yeah, yeah. are there one or two different ways that you've experienced people thinking, okay, this is the one voice they assume is is the melody of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you can answer that question in different ways depending on sort of what themes in the Bible you're you're thinking about. So yeah. like if we're thinking about death, yeah. Jesus's death, I think a lot of people imagine that like you can answer that question by giving um like one biblical answer, right? And there might be other stuff in the Bible that doesn't fit with that 100%, but don't need to worry about it too much because it's sort of just accompanying that main answer. But I think that, and we can get into this later, I think that, um, um, you know, the Bible actually answers that question in different, although complementary ways that, that amount to sort of different voices that mm. interact together, right? And and so so that's a sort of way to to answer it with respect to those questions, I think. But I think, you know, wouldn't you guys, don't you imagine sometimes I think um, believers, and I think this is also the, the, I encounter this with unbelievers too, right? They imagine that Jesus, so let's say Jesus for the Christian Bible, right? Mm -hmm. I, and I make that, you know, distinction because you asked me, Peter, about when I'm teaching like a Brown or a, Bro a Brockport at my, at my college. And I don't assume people are Christians. And in fact, they're often Jews for whom the Bible doesn't contain the New Testament. So mm. let's imagine it's the, it, we're, we're talking about the Christian Bible. And so generally people are going to think the voice of Jesus is like, you know, the, like the, we even see it, right? Yeah. 
in the Bible, the words of Jesus sometimes are in red, right? Like this is, you know, this is the main, like we're going to actually take these words and signal their special importance and everything else is background, right? And haven't you guys noticed even just in teaching or talking to Christians, sometimes then people are like, well, therefore, like the law must be really bad mm. because Jesus seems to be saying talking about, you know, mercy and forgiveness, but the law seems to be much more about sort of retribution and making sure people are held accountable for their for their deeds. And therefore, you almost get it. The, the law is not only being um, it can get to a point where it's not only subordinated to, but it's almost like antithetical to the words of Jesus. Like it's almost like mm. not just less important, but almost like in opposition Right. Yeah. So I, but I, but I think maybe a different way of looking at that and a way closer to what the Bible is getting at and even a way closer to what Jesus is getting at. It's, no, it's, it's, that's not what's going on. I, there are voices of mercy mm. in the Hebrew Bible central to um, the, the story of Israel, right? God saved Israel from Egypt before it did anything. I don't even think Exodus, you, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't even show like, Israel praying to God for deliverance. I think it's much vaguer. It's just like they're crying out to God, right? You know, and God rescues them. Wow. And then enters into a covenant. Like the idea of like grace, of unmerited favor or whatever is being kind of, you know, important. That isn't a New Testament thing, right? You yeah. Know, that's a voice kind of that's woven throughout the Bible. And on the other hand, read some of Jesus's parables and if you want, like, the harshest retributive language in the Bible, I would say, is in Jesus's parables, mm. right? When mm. Jesus talks about, like, what does it mean, what, what what are the implications for someone who's unforgiving, right? right. That's, that's, it's sort yeah. of scary what Jesus, I mean, I yeah. think he's being hyperbolic, but some of those, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the parable where the unforgiving servant, what does he do? Throw him into the dungeon and yeah, have, have him be beaten. tortured yeah, or tortured. whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's hyperbolic, you know, it's not like, it's not meant, it's a parable. It's not meant to be taken literally, but nonetheless, Jesus is saying like, this is serious. There are serious consequences for hearing what I'm saying and thinking, this is not about me. I don't need to forgive. Yeah. Right? You know? So. Well, let, let's come back to that. Yeah. But before I, I realized, you know, I missed something. Let's talk about your journey in understanding the Bible and Jesus's death. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons I really appreciate you is you and me, um, John, I'm sorry about this. We, yeah. Austin and I have similar backgrounds growing up Pentecostal. You know, um, obviously, Austin is way down the road academically compared to me. <laughs> but, you know, just there, <clears throat> there's something about growing up in church spending time with people that don't go to church and also spending time with church people trying to explain the Bible, trying to explain the gospel. Tell me about your journey of where you've come, um, you know, as in regards to this question, because I sense it has been a journey for you. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I grew when I was really young, I spent a lot of time in a, um, a United Methodist church, but you know, my sort of the time when I started taking my faith really seriously, I was involved with an African American Pentecostal church, and um, you know that, those were the formative years of my, or, or some of the formative years of my at least at least you know adolescent faith, and um, you know I I thought as a result of um, um, that kind of 
wasn't really a conversion, right? I grew up in the church, um, but it was a kind of like you know enlightenment that I had in that context. You know, I thought I wanted to be a minister. I thought I wa- I did want to be a minister. I didn't think I wanted to. I did. Um, and and you know, like from the Pentecostal tradition, like the standard like career path is if education is involved, it's going to Bible college, mm. right? And um, and so I was sort of what I was going to do. And I was talking to people about my pastor, I think really wisely said, you know, she had a conversation with me and said, you know, um, you could do that if you want, but often Bible colleges are not um, necessarily academically rigorous, right? They're more designed, like they're, and I, they're great, but they're more almost designed as like, kind of like trade schools to get people into the ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what people's gifts are. And she was like, you know, I think that might not be the best way for you. Why don't you, if you want to do that, maybe you should, but go to seminary, like get a good four-year college education and then go to seminary. And so I ended up doing that and I went to my local, just regional state college and it was San Francisco State and um, got deeply involved in InterVarsity. And that was my um, sort of a young adult formative experience. And, um, you know, just through my years there, I, you know, and the staff workers I worked with, um, you know, had a lot of conversations with me and they sort of, you know, in consultation thought, you know, maybe, maybe being a minister isn't the right thing, hmm. the right thing for you. And I think there were different reasons for that. I don't want to get into too much detail. Some of it, I think they might not have been totally right about some of their um, analysis of my, um, my gifts, or it might have been um, just based on where I was at that moment without sort of anticipating what would happen later. But one thing they did get at was that um, they felt that I, I've been remi- reminded of this lately, a couple conversations I had, one with my staff worker, Mylene Fu, who thought, you know, you're not very patient when you talk with other Christians about <laughs> some of these issues, but mm. I see you much more like patient and interesting when you're talking to people who aren't believers or who are, you know, who are yeah. coming like to explore rather than to, um, um, rather to, than to, to deepen what, what they already have. And, you know, that's something you should sort of like acknowledge. And I did. And so that sort of led me to think maybe I, maybe I want to pursue my study of the Bible. Cause I always love talking about the Bible and studying the Bible in a different context. And so, you know, I decided to be, um, um, to, to, to study it from a more academic context, that ultimately evolved into the idea that now, um, you know, I, I'm really committed um, at this point, at least in my career, not to not teaching the Bible at a Christian institution, mm-hmm. right? Like I've, um, um, you know, in terms of my job search have, you know, even at various times sort of limited where I'm interested in kind of applying or where I'm interested in working to, um, public institutions to secular institutions at least. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. And so so you said you had this conversation with somebody who you work with that said, you know, you're much more patient with people who don't have an understanding of the Bible than you are with people who come in with kind of kind of an understanding yeah, of the I, Bible on their own. I think that's what she was like. Yeah, yeah. that's my paraphrase of sure. a conversation yeah. from 20 years ago. Exactly, or, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... And, 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 and so that caused you to kind of acknowledge something in there and go, okay, mate, what's going on underneath the surface of that? Because, because at some level you, you kind of are aligning yourself now to saying, well, I want to kind of be talking with people who 
this isn't their norm. Yep. Like this isn't their expectation of they have all the answers already. They're just coming in from square zero. Yeah, I think yeah. that, yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is who this podcast is for, just <laughs> just as a side note. So, <laughs> and, so and, welcome everybody. Well, Justin well, uh, is a great guest. And, well, uh, and, and, and on top of that, I think John and I would say there's a lot of times we enjoy conversations about the Bible with people that don't go to church. Oh, yeah. Versus people that do go to church. Yeah. And um, I'm glad we kind of took this rabbit trail because that leads us into this question. You know, when you talk with people that don't have a church background or a background in the Bible, what do you think is their biggest misconception about Jesus dying on the cross? Well, I mean, I think their biggest misconception about, like, the more particular thing, so before I give that general mm-hmm. answer, is that, um, like, God is angry. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, I think that that's, you know, that that's sort of God's essential characteristic. Yeah. And and so then I think that a, a sort of supplemental misconception is to the extent that they might think about um, Jesus dying on a cross. You know, you guys know, like, for a lot of people— who don't know much about the faith, they might not even, that might not be a question that even, you know, why does Jesus have to die? They might not even think about that as particularly important. But to the extent that they do, and often, at least in my class, they do, because we're reading the texts, um, they, you know, their their first impulse is to imagine that he must have to, that he must have to die because of, because of God's anger or God's displeasure, maybe not at him, but somehow he's trying to like placate that or to deal with that. And um, you know their their response to that is it doesn't seem fair. Mm-hmm. What, you know what, what's going on with that? That's a weird story. Um, so yeah, I mean I would say that's sort of what, what you get to when you when you talk to people who either haven't read it or have read it for the first time. Yeah, that the default is kind of God is angry, therefore he's going to take it out on somebody. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, Rather than, and how would you fill in the rather than? Rather than that, um, um, you know, God's essential sort of um, um, orientation toward his creation isn't one of anger or frustration, but rather of, um, you know, love and desire to help. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's, that's sort of what I, where I feel that. And then when often, you know, when I'm talking to people, it's after we've maybe read the Gospels, after we've read the Gospel of Mark, it's the first, most scholars believe it's the earliest Gospel written, it's the briefest Gospel, so it's a good one to start with. And it's easy to see that, especially with if you imagine Jesus as God's representative, which Mark sort of makes clear at the beginning, because he's, he's baptized and a voice comes says, you're my beloved son, right? With you, I'm well pleased. So Mark's setting up Jesus. We don't know exactly what that means in Mark itself for Jesus to be God's son, right? Mark doesn't have that early, you know, you guys, that early stuff, but he, but it's clearly he's God's representative. And what does God, what does Jesus do in Mark? Like he hardly teaches at all, mm. right? He go he does in some, some interesting ways, but he mostly goes and he's like healing people. Yeah. He's Casting out demons right yeah. and left in Mark, right, all over the place. The very first thing he does, I think, after he calls disciples is cast out a demon. And then when he defines what his disciples are supposed to do, like prominent on the list is you're supposed to cast out demons too, right? Like he's he's just helping people, right? And so then when you think about, okay, so that's a story mm-hmm. about God having this representative Jesus who's supposed to help 
people help the world. Like, how does it make sense then that when Jesus dies, all of a sudden it's because God is angry or God is, uh, you know, God is sort of really actually God's interested in just sort of maintaining justice or punishing someone for their evil or whatever. So, you know, that I loved how you just kind of fit that all together because even if someone comes to church and they've been a Christian for a long time, I, I think they struggle with that. Is God angry at me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things about studying the Bible is the Bible's not written to us, but for us. And I think with Jesus's death on the cross, as a modern day 21st century reader, we look at that and we just think that that's the weirdest thing. Like, you know, I, I don't know any of you, but like you're trying to explain the gospel and you're trying to explain... I needed someone to die for me. Like, so I think one of the gifts that you have is how would someone who's first reading Mark and even first reading the Bible understand Jesus's death that would connect with them, even if they hadn't met Jesus, what would be the difference back then than today that would help us understand this passage? Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, that's a really good question. I think Probably part of it would be I, you know, it'd be difficult for me to sort of, you know, um, defend this answer vigorously, like with literary evidence at this point. But I think you, you we're going to tell we're going to tell all your scholar friends not to listen. <laughs> yeah, to yeah, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, 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 you're, like, you're, you're good. Whatever yeah. I, you know, this is, this is <laughs> yeah. like, like whenever you make a generalization, you want to be like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think in the ancient world, people tended to be a little more in tune with the idea that they were out of control. They had little wow. control in their life, right? I think yeah. today we tend to think, I mean, when you guys that we have a lot more control than we do right. and we have a lot of things in our life that sort of like all our devices that sort of give us, you know, the, at least the illusion of control. Yeah. Um, wow. you know, we can control our time. If the weather's terrible, we can go inside in a heated area or you couldn't do that in the ancient world or if you were living in an agricultural society and the weather isn't working, you know, you're going to starve. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there, if you get sick, I mean, let alone not really, you know, being able to um, um, uh, remediate that sickness. People didn't even understand what caused it, right? What right. it was like, the, you know, so, um, um, so I, so I think that that notion of being out of control and of needing of, of therefore having a sort of sense of a, a more immediate sense of need for profound help, which is mm. really what salvation is, right? Uh. You know, um, um, was was probably um, more near the surface than I think it can be for for people today, and and needing salvation in every area of one's life. Right? Wow, yeah, that, yeah. I don't know. Does that sort of answer the question? I hope. Well, no, I I think that that. That makes a ton of sense. So, and one of the hallmarks of the Bible is Jesus even says, like, I didn't come for the healthy, which the religious leaders, I came for people that are broken. I mean, that connects me with the ancient, because as much as I want to change, as much as I want to be less anxious, you know, even though I have a ton of devices, I can craft an image online, there's still a semblance of I don't have control. And you just connected us yeah yeah Yeah. i think too as you're talking i'm trying to put the pieces together and and as 
as yeah. I filter through things in my life, as I interact with people too about this concept, a lot of times it seems to me, and see if this is this is your experience as well, um, people, especially now, it seems like, tend to project onto God the image that they have seen in their own dads. As a as a father, this is like me saying that feels like oh my goodness I'm like I don't even want to say that because that's that's that that's scary to me. But a lot of students that I talk to, you know, I'm working with college students too. A lot of them, you can just trace it directly back, like abandonment, mm -hmm. um, anger, mm -hmm. the things that we naturally associate. We think, well, that's the way God is. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, um, and so. I don't know if that's your experience as you talk through this issue with people as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely. I mean, even to some extent from my own background, it's now, I mean, call God the Father, right? The Bible calls him the Father. So you can't help but like imagine, okay, what's my essential experience with the Father? It's my mm -hmm. dad. Therefore, yeah. God must be a bigger picture of that. And there is going to be for most I think people, there's going to be some good in that, and there's going to be some bad in that, and it's going to be a lot of, a lot of mix. And often, I think it's just the way we, you know, um, we are as people. We tend to sort of remember, like, the bad stuff a little bit more urgently, mm. right, than we remember the good stuff, and that ends up being what what what's projected. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an issue, right? It's something we need to really consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I, I I find that all the time. I think a radical thing then is to is to say, well, that's part of what the story of the Bible is doing. It's kind of redeeming fatherhood, mm. right? Wow. By by having by insisting that God is the Father. Some people think, well, then then let's back away from calling God the Father. And I get where they're coming from. I I tend to think that um, it might be a better idea to sort of you know, like allow the Bible to redefine what fatherhood is in an insistent, in an insistent way. So I love that. Yeah. I, and I think yeah. too, what that does in my experience, yeah. and I don't know, not everybody listening here yeah. is a dad or a yeah. mom, but I think for those of us that are, it helps us capture a little bit more of that essence of what you were talking about before of mm -hmm. God and his predominant like emotion toward us. Yeah, yeah. My predominant emotion to my kids is not, my default is not, I'm angry at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sometimes they may experience yeah. that, but my, <laughs> I'm a broken human being, but, but I think my default deep down is I love those kids so much, yeah. you know, that's my default mode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I agree. And I, I mean, and um, you know, for me, it's my particular, it's it's the sin that I tend to chant to 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 struggle with is anger, but but yeah. So even for one as broken in that area as me, mm -hmm. I do think yeah, my default mode is not anger, and you know I even think that if I were to talk to my son, he would know that right. Mm -hmm. You know so. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I love where this is going, and and Austin, I think one of the things that you can help us with is. Um, uh, 
simple question. Yeah. Just explain the gospel in two sentences. <laughs> but I mean, <clears throat> let's, uh, you're a scholar of the book of Mark. So for those of you that have never been to church or you've never read the Bible and you've encountered this, I'd encourage you to download, there's the version app, maybe ask a friend for a Bible and just read that because <laughs> um, that tells the story of Jesus. But when you think about the gospel of Mark, what technically, how do we understand Jesus dying for us? And and just, I think it's powerful in this conversation because all three of us are fathers mm-hmm. and we realize that we're broken and we want to give our kids something better. And ultimately, it's not just about being a father, it's about being a better man or woman. Um, what does Jesus on the cross do for us presented by the book of Mark? Why is it such so cataclysmically important. Yeah. So this is the way I would answer if, in, from the, you know, from the perspective of the book of Mark, which is what we were talking about. And then I can sort of maybe broaden that really briefly, which would hit back on to an earlier part of our conversation. Sure. I think in the book of Mark, so the um, there are a couple of specific verses that talk about Jesus's death in the book of Mark. One is at the Last Supper, um, where Jesus sheds his blood um, for many, but... Um, the one I'll, I'll talk about here is Mark ten forty five, where where um, Jesus said, "The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many." And I think that relates to this earlier passage, very early in Mark, in chapter three. Jesus has been, you know, his ministry has just started mm. in chapter three, and he's been performing all these exorcisms. And in Mark and in all the Gospels, it's really the exorcisms that put Jesus sort of on the map with the religious leaders. Right? They go to him, and they're like, you know. What's going on with this, right? And we have actually in the other ancient literature of people performing exorcisms. And one thing that's remarkable about Jesus is how authoritative it is. Mm-hmm. Jesus just like, leave. And they're like, ah, Jesus <laughs> is here. What are you doing? Like, and they just go, right? And so the, the uh, and it usually doesn't work that way. It's usually um, more difficult or maybe more dramatic, right? But so the religious leaders, I think they're scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem, they, they suspect that it's like an inside job, that maybe Jesus is satanic himself and is like, you know, using Satan's authority to get the demons to leave. And Jesus says no, and he answers in this parabolic way, and he, this way in parables. But he basically says, look, I came not to, I'm not aligned with Satan, I'm binding Satan. Like I'm, I'm attacking Satan, I'm mm. tying him up and I'm freeing people. From Satan, he's saying this in parables, but that's what he's getting from. You know, that's what I'm about. And if you th- if you're like interpreting this good thing in a in this kind of perverted, negative way, then there are some serious consequences for that. And we won't get into blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and all that. But um, <laughs> later on, though, he um, he says right near the end of his ministry, this is this is um, as he's already begun to approach Jerusalem. He says, "The Son of Man came came." To, to give his life as a ransom, right? I mean, churchy folks sometimes just make this way too complicated. What's a ransom? Like, why do why do we pay a ransom, right? The, the, the reason we do it today is the reason people did it in antiquity. If someone's been kidnapped, you pay a ransom. If someone's been sold into slavery, that was the more common way in antiquity. You would pay a ransom to free them. It's a payment to free people. And and so so Jesus is saying, look, throughout my ministry, I've just been going around freeing people from evil, mostly demons, but also sickness and sin of various ways and, and you know other sort of manifestations of evil. 
And um, as my ministry draws to an end, and, and as I'm 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 going to die, I'm not going to just go around freeing individuals. I'm going to free many. I'm going to die in order to free people to pay the ransom to the forces of evil that have enslaved people. Now, Paul talks about this in like Romans 6 and 7 as being enslaved, sold under slavery to sin. And he taught, and he sort of unpacks that as the experience of not being able to do the good thing that you want to do, but sort of being compelled to do an evil thing, even if you don't want to do mm. it. And I think we all have that experience, even on so basic a level of we like know what we should eat. Mm. But it's so hard not to eat what we should eat, but instead to eat the stuff that's going to kill us, right? Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? Like, like we're like prone for various reasons to do that, and I think you can sort of take that and expand it and and understand that we're like there's a sense in which we're enslaved to what's not good and what's not good for us and what's not good for others, and we're compelled to sort of do that. And Jesus's death is paying is, is sort of is metaphorically paying a ransom to those forces so that they'll let people go. Yeah. And so that they're not enslaved by evil. And Jesus's resurrection in that context is God not being angry at Jesus, but God saying, I'm not going to let my son remain under the power of these forces. Like he paid his life as a ransom to free others, but I'm going to save him from these forces. I'm going to raise him from the dead. And I'm going to do it immediately. And Mark, Mark says after three days. It's a little nuanced, but all the other gospels say on the third day. But Mark says after three days, which probably means something more like after a few days or, you know, really quickly. Like that's the impulse. Like mm. I'm not going to let him stay there. I'm going wow. to, like, you know, uh, free him immediately. And then, and, and then, you know, the, the tomb is empty. He is freed. The story that Mark tells is really a story of God and Jesus working together to free people from evil and from sin. And the exchange, the reason Jesus dies isn't, you know, to satisfy any sort of wrath of God, but instead to free people from, um, from evil. And God's role in that process is to save Jesus and to send Jesus to save us, right? So that's yeah. that would be Mark. And then, look, I don't mean to say that that's this is getting back to the earlier thing. The I think the Bible is polyphonic, right? There are different voices, and there are voices that claim that say in the Bible that um, uh, Jesus dies um, to satisfy um, God's uh, wrath. God's wrath, or or mm. or however we exactly understand. I mean, I think we would all agree it's important to nuance. God's wrath is not like our wrath, right? <clears throat> but yes. Um, and look, God created the world. And, you know, this is one of the great difficulties of sort of theology. There is no plausible way to entirely, like, make God not responsible for the evil in the world, right? God created the world. The world is messed up. God's not directly responsible, but ultimately— he is responsible. God never shies away from it, right? God never says, not my fault, you're on your own, right? Mm -hmm. God, you know, says, like, this is, I'm not going to turn my back. This is, this is, this is the world I created. I'm going to deal with it. And I think from that context, even in Mark, you can't just say, like, that, that God is just this purely benevolent figure 
in the story, right? God is in some has in some sense allowed the world to get to the situation in which it's in, so that Jesus has to come. So, so when I say that, I'm not I, I I am acknowledging there's complexity, and I'm not trying to say that we can't deal with some of the difficulties that other strands of the Bible um, present. But I think in Mark, at least, and I think um, the essential story for for non-believers is is the story that Mark tells. Mm. And I'll tell you, you know, in the early church, I don't I tend to read a lot of early ancient Christian literature after the Bible. I don't read it because of my job just to sort of like like I'm not looking for just texts that just affirm, mm. you know, what I found. I just have to read it sort of broadly. And I got to say in the early church, the story that I just told from Mark, that's the story people tell. Wow. Right? That's it. They don't. They don't. They aren't speaking a whole lot about God's wrath. They're speaking a lot, uh, much more about Satan, about how God died to deal with evil right. than they are about how God, why God, why Jesus died to deal with 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 God's anger. Even though that's in there, those are yeah. voices in there, right? They're voices that kind of work together. So yeah. anyway, I don't know. I've been going on a bit. Wow, Sorry. that was that was really good. Yeah, I mean, the, it seems like you're describing like power, like like. In in the time in that this was written, like the idea of power and feeling powerless was a big deal. Yeah, and and I think this is a weird thing, yeah. but in some ways, it's almost like we were returning to that. It's it. it I feel like there's that real sense these days. Yeah in ways that maybe we haven't experienced in a long time. I imagine some people even listening right now are feeling powerless, you know, yeah. just in terms of everything that we're flooded with yeah. on a daily basis, the information that's coming at us, the amount that that we are supposed to filter through yeah. and somehow deal with, and yet we have no power over any of it. It's isn't it? True? It's like the snake is eating its tail, right? Mm. Like that, we the things like we're we we've advanced so far to to some extent in terms of the things that are supposed to give us control over the world that like we feel out of control, yeah. Right? But these tools like like cease to serve us and instead make us serve them, right? In some ways, especially tools associated with information technology. I think that's sort of what right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I totally. I I think I totally think that's you know. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree, right? Yeah. yeah. So based on what you just said, that was very technical yeah. and ancient. What does Jesus's death bring us that's unique to anything in the world? I think that, you know, I think I think Jesus' death really brings us it's supposed to bring us and I think it does bring us freedom from sin. Right? Um now that's a bold claim, right? Mm. But that's like, if you read Paul, like read Romans, Paul doesn't just talk about freedom from the consequences of sin. Paul talks about freedom from sin, right? You know, it's, 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 it's supposed to, Jesus' death and resurrection are supposed, supposed to initiate a kind of transformation in our lives so that um, that that the, the sort of impulse to do the wrong thing, to do the thing that hurts ourselves and do the thing that hurts other people um, is mitigated. And, you know, we, we have something, we, we're given something like a free will that then we, 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 we put at God's disposal. We enslave ourselves to God. Well, can I stop you just yeah. for a second? 
what is sin? You know, I think sin has sin has got two elements in the Bible. Number one, it's the things that we do that are counter to God's will, right? Right. It's that. It's sort of um, missing the mark, erring, like making mistakes, doing the wrong thing. But I think the Bible is also pretty clear. Like once again, if we're talking about Romans, um, uh, Paul, Paul 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 actually says, "Sin deceived me." Right, like he almost personifies. It's like a force outside ourselves that that kind of pushes us in that way. And I think we can understand that as sort of cultural or social forces that push us in 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 bad directions, right? Don't you guys? So I think that's what it is. It's like everything, both in ourselves and in the society around us, that is pushing us in a way that is askew from what's right, mm. right? askew from what God God wants. And I think we're naive if we think that's all, it's just about what I do. And we're also naive if we assume like, you know, if the world were better, I would be fine too, right? You know, because it's both inside us and outside us. But I think that's what it is. I don't, and, and you know, I don't know. I think that in terms of understanding, understanding it, I think like things like addiction, things like um, lust, Things like anger, one's temper, these 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 sort of experiences that I think are fairly universal. Um, if you like, think about them and think about actually how common they are mm. in our lives. Um, I think that's sort of like where you can understand what sin is. And I do, and I think not everyone sort of spends time reflecting on that. But especially for non-believers, I think it's useful to do that to like, you know, think about that. That's not, there's something wrong there. Mm. There's, isn't, there's just something wrong with the fact that as much as I love my wife, I will still say things to her that I know are going to hurt her and that I'm going to regret saying 15 minutes after I said them. But there's a sense in which I can almost not help but say it in that moment of like anger, that moment of frustration or whatever. Like, there's so much wrong. There's so much evil just in that moment, right? That the person we should be loving is the person that we're hurting, right? Wow. You know? yeah. So I don't know. If that's and, how I understand it. Yeah. And what you're describing is Jesus coming to set us free from that. Jesus, yeah. you know, the, the not just the future, but in the present. In the present, yeah. As well. Yeah. It's difficult because, you know, I can't claim that in my life I've been totally set free from sin and even the trajectory of freedom sure doesn't seem as straightforward certainly as i would like it to um it's a difficult thing right i think if we're just honest to what the bible said though that's that's why you know he died one time i once heard a preacher say and it was one of the few things i've like always remembered like a preacher say no offense you guys could be because <laughs> it's not something you said <laughs> well there you go hey let's face it <laughs> he said he but he, he said you know he said he said um you think Jesus died to forgive your sins? That's not even high on the list. I mean, he was being provocative. He said, Jesus didn't die to forgive your sins. That's way too small. Jesus died to free you from sin. And, you know, just that sort of idea, 
like he was being intentionally provoked. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I'm not. He wasn't. He wasn't saying that's not a thing. Right. He's saying that he it's was bigger than it's that bigger thing. than that. That's right. And that's sort of why I'm even quoting him here because I think that that's sort of the that that's the story of why Jesus died to free mm-hmm. us from to to. And now, and you you yeah. probably have your academic experiences yeah. is probably brought you into this more, but to my understanding yeah. and from what I've read, the biggest one of the biggest things in the early church or for yeah. for people who were encountering Jesus during that time is the the phrase Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Like that was controversial beyond what we could even imagine. Uh-huh. Like Jesus is king. Like yeah. he came and he's the conquering king yeah, and yeah, he yeah. actually conquered sin. Yeah. And that was the good news. Yeah. That was the common that was it. Yeah. That was the back in that day that the term good news meant that a king had just won in battle. That's, yeah, that was that's a common way and that which that Greek word euangelion or mm-hmm. euangeliso, right? The 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 verb was used. Like right. that was like the standard good news, right? right? That there was a victory. So yeah, that was that was it. And in the early church too, or the that theological conception that I just that I gave is known as in Latin, because that's sort of the technical term, Christus Victor, mm-hmm. right? Christ the conqueror, Christ the va- vanquisher, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that was that was it. And, and it's implicit in just saying Curios Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's powerful. Yeah. You know, as I'm thinking about this conversation too, you know, <clears throat> this gives us a new framework when people say, and I think people that follow Jesus and don't follow Jesus feel this, I'm good enough or I've done enough good. Now, sometimes we've wrong, I think we've wrongly handled that by saying like, no, you're really sinful. Like you're really, but like everybody has a degree of good in them because they're created in God's image. The, the issue is, and I'll, I'll just be personal myself is, you know, we talk about sin as like, you know, it's the world around us and it's the world inside of us. And so we think of gossiping, gluttony, like those are like negative space sins. Um, But then there's actually like positive space sins. So like, you know, you were mentioning like eating cookies or like eating the wrong food. Last night, I told myself I would not have two M&M cookies and before I went to bed. <laughs> what happened? Here we are. Uh, but but like there's another side of that that I, I see in our world, which is actually the I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm eating the right food or I'm loving my wife or like and actually it builds a pride in us yeah, yeah. that makes us look good. and. Yeah. And the good news about Jesus being Lord is we no longer have to have that anxiety of doing what's right. And and in some ways, what I see in the world and what I encounter is people want to be their own functional saviors. And I'm not going to argue that you do things good. And I wouldn't even argue that people do things good. They're motivated by the right reasons. Sometimes they're not. But just that's so much pressure. Like if all of us, I mean, the three of us here, we don't have time to do this. If I was literally to reflect on every minute of my day and just trying to get the scales of, did I even just equal out the good and the bad? I mean, that sounds like so earth shattering. Mm. And like, I think what you're saying is, is, 
is Jesus didn't come to tell you that you're a horrible, terrible person. Jesus came to say, like, you are stuck and you can't get out without something outside. I mean, I don't know, respond to that. You know, no, I, I think that's such a like an insightful comment. It makes me think about kids, right? John, John, mm-hmm. you were talking about being a father. I know Peter, you're a father, although your your maybe little one is 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 too young for this. But you can to some extent ensure a child's behavior by managing it assure a child's goodness by managing their behavior carefully enough. Mm. That's in some ways what parenthood is about, right? You <laughs> you need to sort of limit the ch- children's freedom based on how much, you know, what's appropriate and sort of ensure that they're good or else you just have terrible kids who are terrible, yeah. <laughs> which, which we, you know, we all, we all know, even in, not in a conversation about sin, right? Just yeah. in a conversation about parenting. But um, um, I think sometimes we can, don't you guys think we can like almost like want to do that to ourselves or want to manage are want to manage our goodness by limiting our freedom, right? By, okay, I'm going to eat in this way or do exactly this or, you know, have these sort of lists of the right thing to do that I do. And sometimes it's really useful. Like if you're on a diet or if you're trying to lose weight or whatever, you kind of need to do that in this specific area of your life. But to imagine like one's whole life is that is it isn't freedom, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. liberation. It's sort of a different type, if not of enslavement, at least of sort of like, you know, enmeshment in a bureaucracy of sin management that is not the good news. Mm. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is genuine, I think, freedom, yeah. right? Now, once you have that freedom, you can choose what you want to do with it. And I think what it means to be a believer and what it means to me is to follow the master. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus freed me, and I am happy to call myself a servant of the master of Jesus, right? And I want to, I trust him, and I think that following his example and following what he says is going to make me the kind of person that I want to be. Um, um, but that's a sort of different, you know, that's a, yeah, different, that's that's a, a different, different thing, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah and I so mean, that's how. yeah, as you talk, I'm yeah. just feeling hopeful. Yeah. Like it's it's like sometimes I think people have this understanding or this conception that Christians, okay, yeah, you, you talk about Jesus dying. That's a one-time thing that you need to embrace and you just get on with the rest of life. I think, man, to, even just sitting around here talking with each other about this just brings me, r- reminds me of the life that, that that I have in Jesus, which is for me so invigorating. Yeah. Like it's it's a reminder of that freedom and yeah. a reminder of what He's set me free from. Yeah. And and uh, I think that's why this time is so valuable. So I mean, Peter and I always answer this final question here, and I, you've done such a great job of this. I, I I think in many ways you've already answered our final question, but. I'd love to hear your synopsis maybe of it as Peter and I kind of mm-hmm. will we'll go first and answer the question, kind of what would Jesus say about this topic? This is a pretty big, you know, it's a pretty big topic and we've already addressed a little bit of what Jesus is saying, but Peter, you can take it any way you want. You know, usually I go with the Bible verse. I, I want to take this personal um, <clears throat> so that you see how this works in my life. Um, I grew up in a Christian setting. Um, I was 
I was always felt like I should say I always felt like the the runt like I was the kid that got picked on in school and um I lived with this chip and I still kind of do I'm there's part of me that's still this seven-year-old Peter that gets picked on in first grade and so I lived thinking that in order for me to be saved or loved I have to be useful so like if I go back to my journal entries like in in high school or in college it was like i wouldn't say it but this is really what it says if you really want to be saved if you really want to matter and have meaning in life you need to become the biggest author the biggest pastor the biggest preacher the the biggest whatever Mm. and like that will save you And I think, honestly, as I think of that question of why did Jesus die for me, I think about Jesus saying, you don't have to live under that burden. Like, here's freedom. Mm -hmm. Peter, if tomorrow you resign from working at Browncroft, the church that you love, and and you work a normal nine-to-five job, you are loved, you know? And, and there's a ton of other, I mean, I, I think about my anxiety. I think about, um, you know, just people pleasing, like you think about Jesus dying on the cross and there's, there's this like tension of like with people pleasing, you can love that person without giving up yourself and actually helping them grow Mm. that if they make bad decisions, that's not on you. And, and, um, I don't know if I'm answering that well, but I, I just felt like as we think about this question, there's something to the personal nature of like God literally frees us. God saves us from sin, but there's this element that as I'm thinking about this question, God saves us from ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that's powerful. Yeah, man. I, I It's so weird because I was thinking the personal element as well, you know, as I was sitting here in this conversation just thinking about when I did encounter Jesus, and and that was after college, and I had just been reading the Bible for some weird, unknown reason. I grew up around the church, knew it, read it my whole life, but I just felt drawn to read the Bible more, and I was reading about Jesus, and it was at the end of Matthew, actually, where Jesus dies, and I remember reading that passage for the first time, it just felt like in my life, like the words seemed to jump off at the page at me. It was like one o'clock in the morning and I'm reading this passage about Jesus dying and it, uh, it was not an audible voice, but it felt like an audible voice of like God saying, John, that was for you. And it wasn't in a condom. It wasn't a. It wasn't a voice of condemnation. It was a voice of like, no, I did that because I loved you, yeah. and I love you, and I knew in that moment I have to make a decision about this. Like Jesus' death isn't just this historical fact. It isn't just this theoretical thing. It's like I have to make a decision about this. And I literally laid awake for a next hour, two in the morning. I'm laying awake knowing if I if I fall asleep, I'm essentially turning my back on Jesus because I it, it was that heavy to me. Mm-hmm. And eventually I just I just basically said the most un like perform prayer ever. You know, I mean it was not this eloquent thing, but it was like Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I'm I'll do whatever it takes to follow you. And 
boom, it was like my life had changed in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. felt this freedom yeah. and the freedom was was so great yeah. that I literally went into the, looked into the mirror because I thought certainly I have to look different outside based off of what I'm feeling inside. And I know that sounds weird, but I was like, just just something is so different yeah. right now. Um, and I and there are times where I wander away from that, and I just need to be brought back to that reality that, John, this was for you. Yeah. I love you. And uh, that's the freedom that I want you to experience in life. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Austin, yeah, that's our stories. Yeah. yeah. How would you answer this question? Well, I mean, both of you, it, it, uh, um, both are very powerful answers. I mean, it, I think about it in, in this way. I was just reading with my son. Um, we were reading, um, I think, White Fang, right? That old Jack London novel. And I don't know if you guys have read it, but when the when the wolf cub is born, he's in a cave, and he doesn't understand. Like there are four walls of the cave that are dark, and there's one that's light. He doesn't even he doesn't understand inside versus outside. He doesn't understand that the light is the freedom of outside of the lair or outside of the cave. And ultimately he sort of, he sort of leaves and his story begins. But I, this is, this is how I think like when I, when I understood this, this message and the way I understood it, it was different from the way I communicated it. But when I first understood it, um, that was analogous to, right. Um, almost like, I was in some prison. I was in a cave or something. And Jesus came and he sort of opened the door, right? Mm-hmm. And let me out. I, I didn't even understand, like, so trapped in my own narrow preconceptions and my own sin, if we want to call it that, and my own just the mess of my life. I don't even think I really understood the difference between enslavement and freedom, the difference. I didn't even, I don't think I even understood. He said, leave go outside mm. right come out but that's what he was doing and um you know we're that's how that's what his death does and then we do sort of like crawl out and we're like what is this and he stands there and he says now follow me and i think that's a choice that we have we can either you know follow the master or we can say well okay you know you know we don't we don't need to do that but i think in some ways that sort of metaphor of freedom, of Jesus doing this for us, and then saying, "Come on, come, come with me." That that's like our faith. That's our journey. And I think different ones of us, we stand in different places in that, and maybe some are still in that cave, or maybe some are out or, or hearing like Jesus call them, and not sure if they want to go with them or not. And maybe some have started and realizing, "Wow, this is kind of hard," but still, the Master is good. But um, I don't know. That's how, that's how I think of it. But that moment of liberation, it being for me. And me also having a choice to make as a result of it is, um, is, you know, is powerful and something that still speaks, you know, to me, even as I've been a believer really my whole life. Wow. What a, what a conversation. Um, thank you so much, Austin, for being here. Uh, if you want to find out more about the Why God Why podcast, go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Um, sharing is caring. So please uh, share this episode online. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, um, as John would say, leave us a review as I would say, leave us a five-star review. Thank you so much for joining us.